Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and this is the season, as they say. And if you're listening and it's not the season, that's okay, because the show is relevant 365 days a year. Arlie's riding shotgun again, and it's always fun when he's around. You know that. Hi, Arlie. Hello. How are you today? Excellent. Today we have a little different Frankie sense, Arlie, because there's only one guest, but that's okay because he's got enough to talk about that it's going to be like having three. Uh, <laughs> before, yes. Yeah, before I go there, I just want to say, you know, I've been feeling a little bit humbug. I don't know about you. I know you've had a lot of stuff going on in your life that not all been great and fun. And, you know, for, for so many years, I have purchased extravagant gifts for those that I love, mostly my kids. And it gives me great pleasure to, I used to build this great big mountain of gifts so high that one year we actually had to take a break. Like my kids said, mom, we have to take a break from opening gifts. Like, has that ever happened to anybody in the whole world? I mean, that was like, I guess I went a little bit overboard. And, and I think I've actually run out of ideas and gifts this year and and short of buying anybody a house or a car which sorry kids is not going to happen uh there's really nothing anybody needs and i think that's a really good thing because while i'm a big believer in that charity begins at home i know there's nothing my family wants for so my kids would be the first to say let's see how we can give to others this year and i just love that about them and you know to be honest there's no shortage of people in need as you know arlie and some are right here in my own city while others are living in refugee camps around the world. Yesterday, you know, my daughter called and she and I said, what are you up to? She goes, I'm just dropping off clothes for street kids. And I thought, wow, I just love that. You know, as a member of the human race, I and I talked about this last week, I believe that we do have an obligation to look out for one another. And I count myself really fortunate that my kids have big hearts and a desire to help other people. And, you know, one of my kids calls it, yeah, you know, I'm taking food to the SPCA, cleaning supplies, they need all kinds of stuff. And one went on a toy ride so that they could collect toys for kids in the hospital. Uh, as you know, I sell my paintings for cleft palate surgery. So really, if you have a family, there's really no shortage of activities, or you don't have a family, it doesn't really matter, individuals um, can help other people as well. And you can just use your hobbies and your, you know, the things that you like to do, uh, maybe turn that into a source of, of giving. And I don't want to sound preachy, uh, but I am a little bit worried this Christmas. Uh, somebody already brought it up to me today talking about the fear, fear of the refugees, the Syrian refugees coming into the country. So I'm going to ask everyone to do one thing. Uh, as soon as the show is over, not right now, go to the Good Radio Network, which is www.thegoodradionetwork.com, which is my website. Click on the blog at the top and watch the virtual reality 3D film called Displaced uh, that was done by the New York Times. It features three children, all refugees. One's from the Sudan, one is from Ukraine, and one is from Syria. And I hope that it will begin to shift your consciousness from fear to compassion. Certainly, it is a much higher vibration. Arlie, you live in Mexico, Mexico, and I know that there is no shortage of families or children there who 
uh, our need. Absolutely. So, you know, what do you think is the most important need right now where you live? And how can people help? Well, you know, it's interesting because the expectation here is very different than you have in, in more uh, affluent countries like the U.S. and Canada. Um, we all grew up with that idea that, you know, Santa Claus comes at Christmas time and he brings a, a pile of gifts and, and, you know, that's, that's what we believe. And, you know, in areas like this, you know, they do have Three Kings Day, which is a little bit different. That's when presents come. Oh, okay. But some people do have presents on Christmas, but, but the kids here, their expectations are very different. They don't think about a pile of gifts. And, you know, it's interesting because I watch children make toys out of things they find in the street, hubcaps oh. or, or wooden boxes or um, the plastic crates that vegetables come in in the grocery stores. One day I saw my nephews pushing my niece around in one of those crates in the street. Oh my gosh. They didn't have a bicycle, so they just made one out of a plastic crate. And, you know, so I think, I think part of that is that, you know, we at some point in our lives, change our expectations. And that's, that's what you talked about in your, in your giving. And, and, you know, we don't really need anything. So therefore, we need to look at the needs of others and share with those persons. And that is like a gift. That's such a gift to ourselves when we get to give to other people, isn't it? I mean, it's Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. You know, and that, I, I've, I've, found, I've been philanthropic since I was 14 years old. It's just my nature. And I have always found that, you know, the greatest joy that I get is watching kids, you know, enjoying themselves or, or learning new processes. And I, I do a lot of creative projects with kids, you know, teaching them how to make Christmas ornaments or, yeah. or how to, um, you know, bake cookies and, and, and cakes and things like that. Because, you know, to them, that's a life skill as well as a gift because True. the end result is, is the items that they've made or the cakes that they get to eat. Yeah. You know, I, I can't help but think of the time, the last time I was in Mexico, I guess it was a year ago, and we went, it was at Christmas time, I had Christmas there, and we went to the mall, and we came out of the mall, and there was a, a gentleman standing by the car. And, you know, he looked at us, and I looked at him, and he goes, I watched your car. I go, Okay. He goes, no, I watched your car for you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And what he was saying was, you have to give me money because I watched your car for you. So they actually made up their own job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, it, interestingly enough, I know you think that sounds unique, but in every parking lot, in every city in Mexico, you will find these older gentlemen who go around and they police the parking lots so yeah. that people don't break into your car and then they help you back out and such and everyone here knows that you just you give them three or four pesos or five pesos whatever you want to give them and it's just a it's a it, we do it as a it's like tipping in a restaurant right you know and and unfortunately you know there are places in the world where if you leave something in your car it's going to get broken into and things will be gone and this is sort of a deterrent and the stores do not pay these people you know they just they yeah. it's a it's a it's a known thing and it's a given and there are certain people that are allowed to do it they ask the stores if they can do it but you know it's just an interesting phenomena like you said it's like okay they're extorting pesos out of you because they watched your car <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of funny. But I do love that the baggers were senior citizens. The yes. baggers in the grocery store are senior citizens, and they don't get paid. You know, they're, they're there for tips. Right. Uh, but it's a way to contribute to their family. And I, I, I think that's really sweet. I mean, let's face it, there's no old age pension happening, right? They're not no. getting a check no. from the government. 
Well, you know, if, you, if you've had a formal position, a formal job, you've paid into the Social Security system, and they do have retirement. But, you know, if you, if you were an independent contractor your whole life, or if you, if you were a vendor on the streets for fruit juices or things like that, mm-hmm. you don't pay into that system, so therefore there is no Social Security. So, and, you know, that's slowly changing. They're working on developing that system better. But, you know, here there really isn't a retirement. Your family takes care of you. Right. And the families are, you know, like we talked, we've talked before on a show about how the families have to choose one child to go to school because they can't afford school for both. So if your right. family's looking after you and your senior citizen, chances are, you know, everybody needs to help out a little bit. Absolutely. And, and so that idea of family and helping and, and everybody helping one another, um, you know, is really bringing me back to where I said, you know, I am my brother's keeper, you know, globally. I do need to help my fellow human beings. And, you know, Frankie, Frankie Sensenmore is aligned with the global goals. If you haven't listened to the show before, you're going to know this again. We are aligned with the UN's global goals. Today, it's been a toss-up for me because I thought partnerships are sustainable goals. And I'll explain a bit more of that in a moment. But speaking of partnerships, I'm going to introduce our guest today, Brent Marchand, because he is somebody, and you'll find out in a moment how it's, he's all going to fit into this. He's a lifelong movie fan and a longtime student of metaphysics. And he was clever enough to blend his passion for both and author several books, including the picture, I uh, get the picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction, both of which are, uh, you know, provide reader-friendly looks at how the practice of conscious creation, also known as the Law of Attraction, is illustrated through film. Um, Brent is currently working on an, uh, uh, his upcoming book, tentatively called uh, Third Reel, Conscious Creation Goes Back to the Movies. And among his other projects, he is uh, a feature contributor, arts and entertainment for the online magazine Vivid Life and Feng Shi. And Brett also holds a BA in magazine journalism in his in history from uh, Syracuse University, which is really interesting. He's got he's got lots of uh, interests, this man. Two interesting facts, Arlie, about Brent is that he is a level three practitioner of the reconnective healing technique and a seasoned tarot card reader, which wow. I think is kind of which I think is kind of fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love Brent, tarot cards. I do too. <laughs> Welcome, Brent. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's it's really our pleasure to have you here. Oh, I am. You know what? I'm being a bad girl today. I'm sorry. Um, I want to know when did you originally go down that rabbit hole? <laughs> well, I would say uh, probably about 20 years ago. I had a number of um, personal setbacks that sort of caused the um, pillars in my life to be kicked out from underneath me. And I was in a position of needing to be to reinvent myself. So at that point, I had to look for something that was going to work and fill in the void. And uh, I searched for a while, and I came back to, um, you know, my interest in alternative spirituality and metaphysics, which had been with me all my life. And that's when I discovered the Law of Attraction material. And it really just resonated with me on such a strong level that um, – it gave me the basis for starting over. Wow. And Frank, Frankie, that should be a very familiar story for yourself as well. It definitely is. <laughs> I think it happens to a lot of people. You know, when, 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 when all the foundations are gone, you almost are in a position to say, well, what do I have to lose? You know? And, and, what, point, am, and what am I really made of? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And were you so kind of I, midlife-ish? I began, I'm sorry? 
Were you midlife-ish at the time? Yeah, I uh, was like, um, like early midlife-ish. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because, um, you know, I, I wrote a book about that. <laughs> midlife mojo, you can go out and get it. But really, I think it's a time that we awaken to our true self. And, I think and, so. And, I think everything up to that point was practice yeah. in many ways. Uh, and certainly the experience I had had up to that point was going to stand me in good stead for the next phase of my life. But I had to refocus it. And I had to put I, it in, in new terms that were going to serve me as I, you know, moved forward in life. We're going to hear more about that, Brent, in just a few moments because we're on a commercial break. Frankie <laughs> and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Okay, ladies, listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. No, hold on. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman whose sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs holds higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do the Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. sticking around. We're back with Brent and Arlie and Frankie's here too. Love having you. We were talking about recreation, consciously recreating ourselves into something new and different because, you know, sometimes those foundations, they break apart and we have to build ourselves back up. And Brent, I just wanted to say that I, I mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, our show is aligned with the UN's global goals and partnerships. And I think through your books and the reviews that you take us on, this journey through, you know, about the movies and stuff. It illustrates the principles of conscious creation and the law of attraction. And it really shows how we can manifest our, our reality and, you know, through, through our thoughts, beliefs, and intentions. And what's really good about that today is, I think, as I mentioned, with the fear that's going on, is that we all have an opportunity to recreate the world the way that we want it. And if we do that together, consciously, um, we can probably you know rid that fear and just come back with with compassion that was as i was talking about so let's see if we can't make that happen today too that'd be great 
Well, a- absolutely. And, and really, the key in that is also to understand why it is that we're creating what we're creating in the first place. And that's really what conscious creation and the law of attraction are all about. They're designed to help us get an, a new understanding of what we're putting out so that we can clearly see why we're getting back what we do. And um, that's something I think that, you know, in, in the early part of our life when we're just gaining our initial experience of living everyday existence and so forth, we don't really think about that. But when you're put in a position where you have your foundations knocked out and you have an opportunity to consciously rebuild, mm-hmm. you start to take those considerations more seriously. You ask yourself, what exactly do I want to put into place and how can I make that happen? And then you exactly. come to realize that, oh, that really starts with me, <laughs> with what I believe, what I intend, and so on, because that's going to come back to you in a direct reflection in the reality that you experience. Exactly. Well, really... in, in saying that that starts with me, one of the things I think we also have to realize is that we are also responsible for creating that conscious choice that others cannot create. For example, if you are starving to death living in the Sudan or Mm -hmm. are without water in a home, it's very difficult for you to create consciously because your consciousness basically is survival. So those of us that live in a way that we have that choice also need to take responsibility for those that can't. Yes. Agreed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and actually, you know, in working to sort of cover your own basis first so Mm -hmm. that you can enable to help others later, um, that's a key step in this. Uh, an analogy I like to use is, you know, when you get on a plane, they do the safety demonstration. Yeah. Uh, when they talk about, you know, the oxygen mask routine, they say mm-hmm. if it drops down, put yours on first and then assist others. Right. And you have think, to be able to look after yourself first. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to be of any use to anybody else if your own bases aren't covered in the first place. So that's important to understand. And it's not a selfish consideration. It's really a very practical means for being able to, for you to be able to do what you're capable of doing for others. The good thing about about having your foundations knocked out of you, because it's happened to me, is that you have a, an opportunity to really um, ask yourself some some you know tough questions. And one of those big questions is my beliefs. What do I believe, and are they my own beliefs, or did they actually belong to somebody else? Because that's really important. Uh, you know, do I really? Am I really afraid of spiders or was that something that my mother was afraid of and so therefore I am too? Or everybody in my family, you know, uh, hates rich people so I hate them too. But do I really, you know, do I really, really? And so when you have an opportunity to ask yourself about what you believe and, and change those beliefs, then you have a real opportunity to change your life. And I well, think, you know, that's what you talk about. Yeah, it's true. It sort of gives you an opportunity to do kind of an audit of your yeah. beliefs saying, okay, which ones do I want to keep? Which ones do I want to get rid of? Which ones do I want to change? Um, and you'll find often that really the reality you experience will be a direct reflection of whatever alterations you make in that checklist. Now, if you end up saying to yourself in some way that uh, here's what I want to do and it doesn't happen, then you need to go back and reassess that list to find is there something <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> lingering in the background Mm-hmm. that's keeping me from getting where I want to go, um, something that might be undermining uh, an intent that kind of cancels out uh, its real its manifestation. Um, right. It's like a, an internal conflict that you have to resolve. And that that's when conscious creation can get kind of tricky and 
It's mm-hmm. also a point where a lot of people may start to step away from it saying, oh, this stuff doesn't work. No, it just right. means you have to work harder at understanding precisely what your beliefs are so that you can fine-tune them to get to where you want to go. Yeah, in coaching terms, it's called an underlying automatic commitment, <laughs> if you've heard of that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, you know, you have a commitment that you haven't made aware to your conscious mind. Um, like I said, that, you know, everybody in your family doesn't, you know, hates rich people. So, you know, you're trying to get ahead in, in life and, and you go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm getting, I'm going to make a lot of money. And then you stop yourself or you get fired from the job where you're making a lot of money. And really, it's because you have a commitment not to make money even though your conscious mind says you want it. And so those are opportunities for you to go inside and really, if it's not showing up in your life, you get to go check out why. That's what I think you were talking about. Oh, exactly. Well, I mean, and a lot I think of sometimes, saying, go yeah, ahead, saying I don't want X actually brings you more of X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because right, that's right. where your attention is focused. That was what I was going to illustrate is that, you know, if, if in fact you don't make that conscious choice to make these changes, life will bring that change to you. And it's a lot more effective and less difficult if you change consciously (laughs) and less painful. Yes, very much less painful. Um, Brent, you you review all kinds of movies, but you don't like Westerns and you don't like horror. (laughs) And I found this very interesting. Um, with one exception, no musicals. And you said, most make me wish I'd been born heterosexual. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you, you picked up by one of my famous lines from the introduction. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I thought, oh, my God, that's hilarious. What did you mean? Um, I, I you just, have to be taken to musicals? <laughs> I, I've never really taken much of a liking to musicals. I, I find them a lot of times to be kind of um, silly and, um, I don't know, they to me, they're, they're just not really my cup of tea. So Okay. <laughs> I happen to love musicals. There's a brand new show, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Have you guys caught it? No, I haven't seen it. It's that a one. musical. Oh, it's so funny. It's a funny show. It's, it's supposed to be comedy, and it's a musical, and it's funny. I just love it. So let's delve in. Let's delve into a movie. What movie do you want to talk about? Well, it depends upon what aspect of conscious creation you want to look at. Um, okay. Uh, one thing I would, I would say in, it, that I try to do in, in both of the books is I, I try to provide readers with a roadmap for understanding how the process works. Okay. So I take them in, in both cases from a point where they know practically nothing about how the process works to a point where they can become proficient at it and moving okay. them through all the different steps. So uh, if we want to look, for example, at um, – say we're starting at the beginning. We don't know much sure. about it. Um there's, there's movies like Under the Tuscan Sun, which uh, came movie. out back about 10 years ago and tells the story of a woman whose life falls apart <laughs> and needs to yep. start over. And she ends up uh, making a number of decisions that seemingly don't make sense at the time, but actually are really exactly what she needs to be able to bring her what she wants for her life in the second half. It's almost and, the classic mid- midlife crisis, which yeah, I coined metamorphosis. And, but and, she, she did that bull in the china shop thing. And through that process, she comes to understand herself. She comes to understand right. her beliefs. And she comes to understand why her reality unfolds the way it does. And that it sort of serves as a springboard then for her to be able to recreate her life in lots of other ways that you know, best suit her. Um, now, that's something that is like a springboard in the book uh, for helping people understand how they can then you know, tweak their own beliefs and intents to get to a a point in their lives where their reality is much more in line with what they really want to achieve. Mm -hmm. 
And who doesn't want to be Diane Lean? <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't want to live in a villa in Italy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And be gorgeous. So, okay, we can we can understand that. We can see that, you know, we have to ask ourselves questions. And, and she's, she went from somebody who thought with her head to somebody who was responding to her instinct and her gut. And that's, exactly. you know, where we really want to start to go in our life is, is to start listening to our internal voice or external. And, and, maybe. and, tr- and trusting it. It's really yeah. hard to trust the unknown. Yes. Well, and when we, we work with our beliefs, too, we come to understand that they really arise from a combination of uh, the influence of both our intellect and our intuition. And mm-hmm. in, the, in the West, we're pretty good at covering the intellectual part, but we really don't have the intuition part down very well at all. And that's, I think, something that's beginning to emerge in, in the mass consciousness now more, that these seemingly irrational, uh, irrelevant thoughts that pop into our head actually do have a meaning and we need to recognize it and embrace it when we do because it's going to lead us in the direction we need to go. So learning how to balance the intuition and the intellect in, in terms of how we uh, form our beliefs is a key consideration in how to make conscious creation work. And there's a number of movies that address that particular concept, uh, such as um, The Secret and What the Belief Do We Know, mm-hmm. both of which are uh, documentaries of sorts but also provide concrete uh, tangible examples of how to take these principles and apply them and, you know, see the results of how they get um, uh, used to create the reality that people experience as a result. I really liked what the bleep do we know. The secret, for some reason, the secret bothered me a little bit only because it, I, maybe maybe because it really felt like a um, a money-making scheme. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. But the well, principles the within... The one thing with the secret is a lot of people in the conscious creation community were kind of poo-pooing it. And I said to myself, but you've been studying this material for a long time. Where were you when it was a brand-new concept? Yeah. So that was the one saving grace, I think, of the secret that I liked about it was the fact that it was introducing this idea to a number of people who had never even given this idea a thought before. And when they watched it, I could see the light bulbs going off over their heads saying, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Now, true, it, it did focus a bit heavily on the material side of things, but its concluding sequence basically you know, went into a fairly lengthy uh, discussion of the idea of, if you can do this for yourself, imagine what you can do if you take these principles and apply them to the world at large. Right. And that part, that part of the movie, I think, got downplayed more than it really deserved to be, you know, really deserved, because uh, I think that really showed the real potential of what this um, process can do. Well, and you mentioned it just, you know, a little while ago about um, consciously creating the, um, you know, with the secret and, and how people said, well, it's not showing up. It's not showing up in my life, you know. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about it not showing up in our life in just a few minutes because we are going to go to a commercial break very shortly. And, I, and don't forget that because I want to give people the secret to the secret. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to stay tuned if you want to know the real secret to the secret if it's not showing up in your life. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Brent Gnarly. Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. This is the Tokinet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. 
Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Well, hey, the gang's all here, and hopefully you are too. And I promised, we promised that we were going to give you the secret to the secret if the secret wasn't showing up in your life. So here goes. You talked about, Brent, about intention and how people give up too early if, if what they were, you know, wanting and desiring wasn't showing up in their life. So let's talk about that a little bit because one of the, one of the, uh, secrets, let's say, that I got from somebody was the idea that if you couldn't fully believe in in that gratitude, like, thank you for giving me my beautiful home when you don't have a home to live in, uh, was hard for you. It was, thank you for, you know, letting me be in the process of creating my home. And being in the process was the magic key for me. I'm in the process of doing this. And I could believe that wholeheartedly. And to echo that, I think one of, one of the things I learned being an artist is that art or creation, consciousness, is not about the result. It's about the process. Good point, too. What do you have to say, Brent? Well, the other thing, too, is that I, I think in particular for a lot of people of, of the baby boom generation like myself, um, a lot of us were taught to believe growing up that you should be happy with what you got because well, a lot of us had uh, depression in our parents mm-hmm. who often yes. had very little available to them. So the idea of, you know, be satisfied with what you got um, made it difficult, I think, at times for people to, of my generation to feel as though they were deserving of having these blessings. So mm-hmm. understanding that it's okay to get these things, um, it, it might not seem like it should be that difficult a task, but it, it really was for many because, um, you know, they were told, no, you, you shouldn't be getting this. We didn't have it, so you shouldn't have it too. 
Well, or every generation wanted to make, you know, their children give their children more than they had. And now it seems like our children are so entitled that we almost have to go backwards. That's true. Well, and I think there's another consciousness that we're battling, and that is that consciousness of hoarding that is so prevalent in in our generations now in watching. You know, we we live in the most abundant world in history, Mm -hmm. and there are millions of people starving to death, and that's just unfathomable. And I think think people, in, in a lot of ways, lose hope. They become frustrated. I agree with that. I think, you know, the the idea of abundance and and yet people live in such scarcity. You know, in North America they live with a scarcity point of view when there is so much abundance. And and yet, you know, if we went someplace where there was nothing and they got a quarter of what we have, they would feel like they were so blessed. Right. And, you know, we talked about that not too long ago, my relationship here and, you know, the whole relationship with what value is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but let's in, let's talk in, about another movie. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, to pick up on that point, actually, in, in the second book that I wrote, Consciously Created Cinema, uh, I talk about a documentary called I Am, which came out uh-huh. a couple of years ago. Um, and that really addresses the scarcity issue head on because um, it illustrated through uh, studies investigating th- the nature of how animals relate to one another um, that humans are the only one who really have a fundamental belief that life exists on the basis of competition instead of cooperation. Oh. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes a big difference. It, it becomes a, a, almost a mantra that has pervaded the mass consciousness in terms of how we see the world. It's a belief. Well, if, again, if your beliefs create your reality, then you're going to create an existence that's fundamentally driven by the concept of competition instead of the concept of, of cooperation. And really, all we need to do is look at the animals, and they'll give us a much better example of how to live. Oh, wolves, man. Like, beautiful. Every, you know, one for all and all for one. And yet, you know, you look at the way society is going right now, and there's certain religions that, you know, have to make sure that they always have a two-year supply of food because they believe the end is coming and that people are going to have to be survivalists and they're going to have to go underground and they're going to have to be able to make sure they got water for themselves and, you know, make sure you got a shotgun because somebody might come after all your stuff instead of the idea of, oh, I'll share with everybody, you know. No, this is ours. You go right. get well, yours. That that makes me recall the the air raid bunkers that were being built yeah. in the fifties oh, yeah. when when I was a, when I was a kid, and yeah. I, I just thought that was such an amazing phenomenon that people really felt that they were going to be annihilated at any moment. Yes. and you know, and most of us grew up with the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I think that's the first time we ever really felt we were endangered. But being young as I was, it affected me differently than it did my parents. My parents then became fundamentally afraid of life. Oh, yeah. It's funny you should mention that because I I was really quite a a young lad when that happened myself, and I remembered everyone around me being very, very worried and very, very concerned. And I just had this fundamental belief, feeling at the time, that don't worry, it's going to be fine. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people looked at me, well, he's just a naive child, what does he know? But I genuinely believe that, that we would come through that. And I think that's something that we need to do. Uh, we need to embrace as a belief for our, the world today that mm-hmm. we can we can get through this. We need to make a few changes. We need to do things a little differently. But you know, let's change those beliefs. Let's get out there and, and recreate the world in in, in uh, so that it takes into account the things that we really do want to achieve. I agree. Yeah, and I I think we need to to sometimes stop 
being so serious about things because I think that's where a lot of the fear comes in is the seriousness. And an, an example of that is talking about, you know, we were in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the potential of annihilating total, total the earth with these huge firebombs, but yet they told you to get under a wooden desk and it would save you. <laughs> <laughs> and and if, you, if you look at the profundity of those two things juxtaposed, yeah. it yeah. really gives you a sense of, of better standing about not being afraid. <laughs> and we all know those desks really would have done their job of protecting us too. So <laughs> I want to make sure that we talk about a few movies that we should be watching this Christmas season. Not necessarily Christmas movies, but movies that people are going to enjoy and make them feel better and get rid of the fear. Because I think that, you know, as you're going to spend time with your family, there are going to be moments of downtime that you're going to want to sit in front of, you know, just veg. Veg and watch something nourishing for your soul. Let, let's yes. let's something do that. Something with an upbeat note to it. Yeah. Well, I, I think a, a prime example of that is the, the, the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm, I mean, it's yeah. just such a, a perfect example of somebody coming to understand um, the contribution that he makes to the world and that it really is, you know, living in joy and living in abundance. Um, all he really needs to do is become aware of it. <laughs> and that's something that I think a lot of times we don't always recognize in ourselves when we make contributions to create a better world, we might say, oh, well, I'm just doing such and such, or I'm just being myself. Right, well, it's really downplayed. Things, you know, those things really, they have an impact, and we shouldn't minimize them. We should realize that uh, the beliefs that we're putting into creating those acts ends up, um, you know, creating a lot of good in the world. And uh, you know George what? Bailey is a prime example of that. To, to then, that end, wait, I just want to say to that end that, that people, if you're feeling that way, Go ask 10 people on your Facebook or whatever to give one word that they think describes you. And I've done it before when I've been really down. And people will, you know, send you a word. And you'll find that that, that word might be multiplied a few times. And that's how people really perceive you. And that might make you feel a whole lot better. Go ahead. Right, right. Oh, I was going to say that the irony of watching It's a Wonderful Life is that the human condition is not only universal, but it's timeless. Mm-hmm. And that condition, we are still facing the same dilemmas, the same ideas that they were. And what is this movie over 50 years old now? Right. And I think that should give us a connection to not only our consciousness, but our, our humanity. Well, we want to feel that way. All of us want to have that, you know, that Norman Rockwell kind of feel. Um, it's not our daily existence for many people, but it's the ideal existence. It's what you know, we would like to have happen. So, well, and the other thing, too, is the movie also shows the lead character what the reality would have been like if he hadn't been born. Right. And that's, that's crucial because it makes a really strong distinction between what his presence in that reality was like versus what it would have been like if he hadn't been there. And I think that really helps to, um, you know, define for us a lot of the importance of the contributions that we can make. And right. also, I think, pointing out what Frankie said was that, you know, we view ourselves so differently than other people outside mm-hmm. of us. And I think sometimes we have to step back and allow others to express who we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Another movie kind of along the same lines is um, um, The Blind Side, which came oh, out. Oh, I love that movie. Um, you know, telling the story of a, a mother who just opens her home up to a, a homeless kid and totally changes his life. And in many ways, she thinks nothing of it. 
but she sets such a shining example for the rest of us. It's not a holiday movie per se, but it came out the holidays and it's got some holiday scenes in it, so it, it makes a really good choice for this time of year as well. Well, and I think it, I think it's very timely with the refuge, refugee yes. issue that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, she she Sandra played an amazing role, and this and the you know the real woman herself was such an amazing is such an amazing person to to open her heart, and she fought for that that child as if it was her own. You know, she went to bat for him, and uh, and he just loved her for it, and he opened up and blossomed, and uh, you know is just an amazing human being, and, and we can open our hearts and souls as individuals. You know, people on mass sometimes it's hard to to figure out who they are, but when you get somebody one on one. And you get to know them and love them. It becomes easier to, you know, begin to love the group. And and I think that's like you said, Arlie, about the refugees coming in. Great choice, great choice of a movie. Um, well, and also I think what you said about one on one. You know, none of us can save the whole planet, but yeah. we can start one person at a time, make a difference in one person's life, and that person will make a difference in someone else's life, and it becomes a ripple effect. Exactly. And a great movie to illustrate that is the movie Pay It Forward. Yeah, that's a good movie. The idea of the benefits that society can gain when you base it on the idea of pay it forward as opposed to pay it back. You know, I had that happen in the coffee line. I was at, at, you probably don't know what Tim Hortons is, but it's like a Dunkin' Donuts, and it's a drive through here in Canada. And I went through, Timmy, and the lady says, Oh, the guy, he already paid for you. And I love that. Oh, I remember hearing about that. (laughs) I love that. Well, and you know, that's another thing that I think we. We tend to get caught up on the illusion that, oh, if I do something for you, you'll do something for me. But that's right. not the way consciousness works. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't know where it comes from or why. And, and we, we tend to spend a great deal of our time trying to direct our lives instead of allowing for our lives. Or as I like to put it, create as opposed to control. Yes. Right. Yes. Create as opposed to control. I, you know, I'm a bit of a fatalist. Are you guys fatalists? You know, in the... No, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a fatalist, but I, I do believe in destiny. Okay. And the path that we get to fulfilling the destiny can take many different routes. Right. Uh, it's, it's almost like a, a certain kind of template that gets put in place before we're born. Um, but we have many, many routes we can do to achieve it. There we go. Well, we're going to take a break shortly. But I like the idea of destiny. And, you know, we haven't we talked about where we were before we were born, but we can talk about that in a moment. Stay tuned, stay close, we're coming back. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. It's 
word perfume comes from the Latin perfumum, which means through smoke. Eau de Cologne comes from the name of a town in Germany where this type of perfume originated. The French say the only reason to wear perfume is to attract the opposite sex. Oh, and never ask a French woman what scent she wears, as they prefer to keep it hugger-mugger or secret. Perfumes are generally made from bits and bats of different materials that have unique scents. You know, if women are trying to attract men, why do we wear perfume that smells like flowers? I think we'd get more guys if we smelled like bacon. The best advice for applying perfume is just a dabble do. What's a word for a trifling amount? Hitherx sans kitterax. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and words you never heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Hello, thanks for sticking around. I wanted to make sure that we because you're going to want to find them. Brent, tell people how they can find you. Let's start there. Sure. Um, I have my own website. It's getting ready to go through renovation in the near future, but it's uh, very easy to get there, brentmarchant.com. Um, until it's um, fully updated, though, I would say that probably the easiest ways to keep track of my latest uh, news and so forth is follow me on Facebook. Um, there are pages on Facebook uh, dedicated to each of the books, uh, one is Get the Picture, and the other one is Consciously Created Cinema. And both are ready for Christmas gifts. Yes, they are. They're both available in print and ebook formats from all major online retailers. So one thing that we didn't ask you, which was kind of an obvious, is, is you know, you're a magazine journalist. That was your major, and I was a photojournalism major. And Arlie, you were probably some journalism major. Uh, <laughs> You know, believe it or not, it was called journalism back then. Ooh, now, 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 now we have marketing and public relations and a lot yeah. of other fancy terms for it, but it was called journalism. So you went from magazines to film. What, how, did you, how did that happen? Well, I mean, I've been a, a fan of the movies ever since I was a kid. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was in college, I ended up um, writing some film reviews for my college newspaper and always taken a strong interest in it. As far as how it got combined with the conscious creation material, though, um, that was an interesting little little story. Um, throughout my life, I, whenever I was just engaging in almost everyday conversation with people, if I needed to make an analogy to something, I would say, you know, that reminds me of a scene from such and such a movie or reminds me mm-hmm. of a line from such and such a movie. And I would always find that what people would, you know, grasp what I was trying to say. Well, when I got into the conscious creation material and people noticed that it had helped me to bring about some major changes in my life, they said, how did you do it? And I explained to them conscious creation in rather philosophical or theoretical terms, and I got a lot of blank stares looking back at me. Mm -hmm. So I thought, hmm, how do I get these ideas across in ways that people will grasp what I'm trying to say? And I thought, why not do what you've always done? in terms of using movies for analogies. So when I did that, then I would see the light bulbs going off. And I said, ah, okay, this is what I need to do. And that's what led to the two books. Uh, that's what's led to my other online writings. And it's really a way, I think, for people to grasp the ideas of conscious creation in a way that's both enlightening and entertaining at the same time. And I think that really has an impact. It really gets through um, to people a lot more readily because 
they're not having to slog through something that they might find boring or tedious or uninteresting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, and well, also we all I, like I, that. I think people tend to be more visual, also, and if you can give them a visual to follow, it makes it easier to enter the subject matter. Yeah, and we learn through story, so you know it's the next. It's you know. Perfect, really. I, you know, I, I love movies. I'm a cinephile. I go to two movies at least a weekend. And so I wish I could remember all the lines, but I can't. I just remember, yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm starting to forget stuff. But I love, I love foreign films. I love Japanese films. I love Italian films. Cinema Paradiso was one of my favorites. Uh, Dust Boot, one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, I just love uh, Boy in the Striped Pajamas, great movie. I love foreign film, and nobody wants to come and see them with me, so I have to go alone. But I do love them. Too bad you live so far away. I definitely go with you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yes, and and I'm the same way. But you know, I think for a lot of people, and and especially in the Western world, I mean, we we're so egocentric about our own culture that we don't even really teach foreign languages any longer. And I think that's why people have a problem is because they have already decided they won't understand. Right. Right. They don't want to read it. But you stop reading and you start reading emotion and body language. Like it just becomes one, a blend of one, right? And I love Bollywood. Bollywood is so much fun. I love to go to Bollywood movies. They're, they're just hilarious. Well, you know, that, that immersion type of thing is, is very important because once I stopped fighting, trying to read the text, so to speak, is yeah. when I started fully learning Spanish because ah. I quit fighting with it. And yeah. just and started reading emotion, looking at people's faces and such. And and it's the same with movies. If you get caught up in the words, you miss the intent of the visuals. So I have to ask you, Brent, what is your favorite movie? Oh, of gosh, all time? I get this <laughs> You get this all I the get, time about. I get this question all the time and it's it's so hard for me to, to limit it to just one because it's like there are all so your many children. wonderful movies I've seen uh over the years. I would say though, if I was really pressed against the wall and had to pick something uh-huh. I would probably pick 2001 a Space Odyssey. Really? Um, yes. N- not Stanley only because Kubrick. of um not only because of the story but also because of the quantum leap in filmmaking that it represented. Um at the time that it was released a lot of people again they kind of looked at it with blank stares. Uh-huh. But I remember when it was released. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms in terms of the the artistry involved in terms of the um the special effects in terms of the the way a story is told, it really revolutionized movie making in a lot of ways. And, and, and it's a, a benchmark, I think, that's very difficult for anybody to try and replicate or live up to these days. But it, it's, it sent filmmaking off into so many new directions that it hadn't been in previously that it really, um, it kind of, it kind of like uh, threw the doors open and took the lid off things saying, there's so many other ways of exploring stories and, and, and telling them through film that hadn't been tried before that it's okay to do it now because this movie proves that you can do it. Well, if you're listening and you're at home and you want to see Space Odyssey, 2001 Space Odyssey, you should resurrect it. It is a you know an oldie and, and apparently a goodie, according to Brent. Uh, Arlie, what's your favorite movie of all time? You know, it, it, I, I'm with Brent. I tend to fluctuate, and it's hard to choose one. But if I, if I had to choose, it would be between Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton. Yeah, I love Tim Burton. And Eraserhead, because I love David Lynch. 
and 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 the reason is is not because I mean both of which are a little bit of an odd sort of film, but yeah. for me for me from a filmmaking perspective, they were both brilliantly done, and they're both excellent storytellers. Wow, you guys! Yes, we're well, out there, aren't we? <laughs> you guys are out there. <laughs> well, well, what's this, Frankie? I mean, we'll turn the tables and ask you, what's your favorite movie? Oh, you know what? I I don't know. I've seen so many, too many movies like you guys. It's really hard to pick one. Really hard to pick one. I could pick one of the moment. Like Life of Pi, I just, man, like that blew me away. It it really, really blew me away. I loved Whiplash. I'm a drummer, so Whiplash really spoke to me. And I just thought that was what a brilliant movie and brilliant acting. Like just, ah, I'm like, oh, my God, did you just see that movie? <laughs> you know? It was just crazy, crazy. I just love so many movies. Man, I do. Uh, Cinema Paradiso, I, that might be one of my all-time favorite. That's charming. I love that movie. Yeah. And I definitely liked Whiplash. I mean, I thought it was an excellent example of uh, learning how to distinguish between the concepts of drive and obsession. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, it does it beautifully. But, you know, when, when you see, they're both, they both have, you know, goals to be the best. But one is driven from the young, the young man is driven, you know, from wanting to be the best drummer in the world. Uh, but his teacher, you know, he, he has a lot of drives and, and they're not all positive. You know, he's got, he's got uh, anger issues. And, and even though people say, oh, well, he's just trying to make him better. No, you know, at the end when he's trying to, to uh, I'm trying to think of the word here and I don't know why it's escaping me because uh, I accuse people of it all the time. But it's, um, you know, how, being, um, oh, help me out here. Well, when I, when I wrote about this for Vivid Life magazine, I, I basically looked at it from the, from the angle of uh, how does it distinguish between ambition and fixation. Yeah. Um, and it's a very fine line. And, and a lot of it comes down to what are your intents? What are your beliefs? Again, they will create what you experience. And... Is it going to be just enough to be acceptable, or is it going to be too much to push you over the edge? But you see, the teacher held a grudge. Grudge was the word I was looking for, and he held this grudge, and he says, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to get back at you for what you did. And, but he, as a purist, as a musician, you know, he, had to, he had to see this talent and go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like I, yep. you know, that almost had to take over from my petty human emotion because the purity of the music was really what he, his essence. And he had to appreciate that more. Well, and so, and, but don't you feel that by having that antagonist in your life, it actually pushes you to become more grounded and find out what the true creativity in your process is? And often we don't see it unless we do have that type of a contrast. Oh, I Some agree. People... Absolutely. Having, having a taskmaster like that a lot of times is just what mm. you need to make sure you stay on your path. I mean, a good example I can think of from that is in The Wizard of Oz with the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. You know, yeah. she keeps giving Dorothy all these tests to make sure that she stays on the yellow brick road to get to where she wants to go. If the witch hadn't been there, what would Dorothy have done? Oh, she might have, like, you know, hung out with the scarecrow for a while or, you know, picked apples off the tree and, you know, <laughs> and that is a beautiful lion. I mean, uh, she, kept, uh, she kept Dorothy on the straight and narrow, and she needed that in order to reach her goal. Well, you know what? We've only got a couple of minutes left. And so what is the most important thing you want to leave folks with, Brent? Well, I think it's really important that, you know, we uh, draw from the inspiration of the movies to write the script of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's so important because 
um, in, in an age when we're looking for examples to to guide us, um, movies provide us with such a powerful, potent, and tangible example for us to learn from that we can draw from that inspiration and redirect ourselves in ways that we want to go for the betterment both of ourselves and the world at large. It's a, it's a term in conscious creation that's known as value fulfillment, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful term for describing it. Uh, living your values, seeing them mm-hmm. fulfilled, and making them manifest in the world. Yeah. There, you know, when you are living in alignment with your values, you are most happy. Yes, truly absolutely. Are. And some people don't know what their values are. And if you don't know what your values are, write to me, Frankie, at thegoodradionetwork.com, because I got a sheet and I can help you do that, help you figure them out. <laughs> oh, that's great. Where'd you see a cow painting? In the back of Karina's photo. Oh. <laughs> it's, on, it's on one of the bookshelves in the back. and it, That's it's pretty really, random. Sorry, it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite Andy Warhol-esque. Uh, okay, I'm going to do a cow painting this week, so I just had to ask. But I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, living living, you know, in alignment with your values. Uh, the movies are going to show you. You can check and you know check against yourself. Is this what I believe, or these are beliefs that I hold? And if they're not, use this conscious creation to change your life. Or go watch another movie. <laughs> or go watch another movie. Go watch another movie and, and get the life that you do like. Right. That works for I, me. Brent Marchand has been my guest. Arlie Gray and Roberts, you have been my co-host. Amazing. Karina is our producer today. I'm Frankie Picasso, your host of Frankie Sense and More. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will be back here next week. That is a promise. Say goodbye, Thanks, boys. Brent. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And as always, thank you. It was great, Frankie. Thank you all. And I said it would go fast. It does. <laughs> it always does. Mm-hmm. She and I, you, she the one way to turn the world.